by divine providence to take out that notion, that idea, that to be exact. You had to give him an So if you have the Rambo, what'd you do? If you want to find out what'd you do? He has to teach you. What do you do? He had to look at the Rambo. So you need the Rambo one way or the other. It's true. It cannot do the way with the Rambo. But so let's if you have, if you don't want his philosophy, his sophisticated, elegant presentations of halakha, his analysis, you don't need that either. Why? Because I'm happy to read Gemara, I'm happy with that. Right. Now you may be missing an entire world of learning. You may be missing Nuhidushim, but you're happy with the other. You don't have to have him. So one can function religiously very well without Rabbi Salavajit, unless one is beset by the philosophical problems that affect a modern person, such as the problem of evil or the problem of does Hashem want us to reach the moon? That's an interesting question. We are spending billions and billions and billions of dollars to reach the moon, and we've done it, and we want to go beyond the moon. Does Hashem want that? That's what a Jew religious Jew has to ask himself the question. Now, one may answer, what's one possible answer to that question? We're spending billions of, of dollars and energy and time to reach the moon. We're spending billions of dollars developing all kinds of technology so I could see you and I call you on the phone. I don't want to see you, I got to see you. First of all, I see you on the phone. Right? The technology is pushing forward at, in ways that are incredible. We all agree that the medical advances are appropriate. Nobody would question that issue. Right? Fine. But the technological advancements may be inappropriate. That's an important question. Does the religious Jews support the NASA program in California? Where you draw the limit? There's no... There's no something against Put, it, and the fact that we have the ability to do it, why would we be prohibited to it? Because you are spending money on supporting scientists to reach the moon. You might argue that money should be spent only for the moon for, for the moon Torah, to support You have a hundred dollars to give to charity, what should you give it to? Do you want, does Hashem want you to give it to a, a pirate stricken person? Okay, life, important, etc. Fine. Uh, person you should give it to almost to yeshiva. To, have, to build an air conditioning uh, system to the yeshiva or give it to NASA. What's more important? You know, when you have a limited amount of money, you have to decide values, priorities. What does Hashem want from us? Is the endeavor of reaching the moon a religious objective or not? That's a very, very difficult and a very, very important question. Thus, you're asking the right question, Hashem, what does He want from us? So, here you have an interesting issue where the modern value is what? What's the modern value? Explore, advance, conquer, go forward and reach the height of human potential. That would be now Rabbi Salish's formulation. That is what you should be doing. He as a person of the modern world would say that you must do that. That's part of the mitzvah. It's therefore a mitzvah to study astrophysics. <coughs> it's part of conquering the world. Studying astrophysics is part of the mitzvah. Studying biology is a mitzvah. We could all argue that. It's easy again, because I'm going to study biology and I'm going to end up curing cancer. God, we, we pray to God every day that He should do that. That's certainly a mitzvah. So, if I were to say, <coughs> somebody comes to me and says to me, Rabbi, I have a choice to what to become. I could be a Tamir Hacham. I could be an Irish Tamir Hacham. I could be a superior biologist. I may cure cancer. What should I do? Many, many people have that as a question. Right? Now, if I were a medieval, let's call it, posek, what would I say to that person? Probably come to Midacham, but you don't understand, Rabbi, I'll be an Irish Tamidacham, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be in a kolel, I'll teach a couple of kids, and I'll, that's all. He'd say, anyway, Tamidacham, do it. 
but if you're a person who sees the issue of modernity, of technological advancement as a God-driven imperative, then what would you say? Astrophysics is part of Talmud Torah. Now, I could ask you the question, which is much more difficult, what would the Rambam say about that question? That's much more difficult. The Rambam. Well, yes, good. The Rambam, the Rambam, would, would, the Rambam includes physics and science in the broad category of Talmud Torah. <coughs> he would even say to you that Maaseh Bereshit, Maaseh Merkava, which is the study of divine providence and the study of natural science on a higher level than the arguments of Abba Yebrava. Abba Yebrava means I took his watch, he gave it back to me, who found it, I don't know whose it is, it's mine, it's yours. That's, sorry? Don't you remember during the place? You bet, you bet $100 on it? Right, 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 okay. Different context. <laughs> so, the arguments of Ayyavar they're important. It's a established society, but more important is those issues of great global visions. Astrophysics. Do you need to discourage? Sorry? <coughs> yeah, unless you fill of the, the easy stuff, don't go to the hard stuff. Yes, of course it was. But somebody who has the capability of achieving that height of intellectual development sophistication, as opposed to being a mediocre third grade Hebrew teacher, the Rambam will be obvious. So these are critical questions. Now again, you may go to take out an example of Moshe Feinstein or Chabad uh, Yosef or any other great post scheme of our generation. Should I go to college? And you're so that should I go to college, right? Better question. Should I go to Harvard or YU? Questions asked all the time. What should I do? Should I go to Columbia or should I go to YU? Should I go to NYU or YU? Besides the end, they're very similar, those two. So that, that's an easy question to answer. Well, you still got Harvard and Columbia and those schools, as opposed to YU, Rabbi Salvatic's children went to Harvard. Because they, he felt, get the best education, development of mind. That's a category in and of itself. You must become, the most that Hashem gave you ability, <coughs> develop it all. But of course, Rabbi also say, Torah, you have to study Torah also. You mean you're studying Torah in between your period, you're studying Torah in the South, you studying Torah at night. So his children obviously all became Chamin. But should I be exposed to the brilliant minds of Harvard? Now, of course, Harvard has brilliant minds. That's why it's Harvard, right? We know that. So should we be exposed to that or only say, it's a very tough question. I'm glad I was not asked that question as a rabbi because that's, you know, you're pulling on your two, two equally important values. Mind development, exposure, develop, Cures for cancer on the one hand. On the other hand, go to YU and become, you know, whatever it may be, it's going to become. The biggest thing in Hillel, You're putting it on a good side. The biggest thing in Hillel, the biggest joy of Hillel is when somebody gets into Harvard in Columbia and turns it down, they go to YU. In our school. Yeah, okay, no, it, that does happen in our school, and that's joy true. To who? Josh. What do you mean by Jewish? The biggest thing, you know, the, the people involved in the world. There's a question. Okay, so your point is well taken. Hillel has a different set of values. It was not always true Maimonides. Maimonides, Rabbi Salvechik school, was not always the case. And the compromise is go to year to study in Israel, then go end up in, in Harvard. That was one of the compromises that people did. Study for a whole year in Israel, two years, and then you go to Harvard. You can accept that. So these are important questions as to values, religious values, versus the modern values and the medieval values. Now it goes without saying that if you ask, let's say, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, should I go to Harvard or YU, he'd probably go to YU. If that. I mean, maybe not that. <laughs> probably that. Hopefully that. But that's why, you know, he was much more, no, of course, because his son was Rabbi Tendler who taught at YU, so of course he appreciated all that YU had done. But I don't think he'd go beyond and say, go to Harvard. Okay, so these are modern versus medieval. 
Soloveitchik, of course, was there for this bridge personality between both worlds, the world of the yeshiva and the world of academics, the world of modern, philosophical, scientific, technological <coughs> thought. He was bold in all that he did. He was bold in, in having the courage to go ahead and say that Harvard is an important option. Many would say it's not even an option. Go to a non-Jewish Jewish and say, we're going to do it, it's crazy. Many of us would say that. On the other hand, he would not say that. But again, <coughs> for him, knowledge is an absolute. To know, to understand, is all part of Hashem's world that you have to do. <coughs> to study with the top biologists in the world is a value. Study the top astrophysicists in the world is a value. Then you learn more. You're developing that part of your mind that you have an inclination towards to really pushing for the frontiers of knowledge. <coughs> that is a modern value. That is a Rabbi Salavechikian value. That is a Maimonidean value, Rambam value as well. So now that alone, it strains the mind to find somebody <coughs> else that would say that. Often we cannot find anybody else that would say that other than his Talmudim. But Ruderman and from Boston would not say that. He's not saying. How we Yosef, must you disagree, would not say that. I don't even think a lot of his Talmudim would say that. It depends on what school. Rabbi Soloveitchik was an interesting person in that, you know what part of modern values are? Part of modern values is that people have to decide for themselves because they're based on Selim Elohim. You are a person who has a mind, who has a heart, who has a soul that Hashem gave you. You have to decide for yourself. I've heard him say on numerous occasions in his apartment and in Shi'ud as well, I don't believe in spiritual slavery. One particular truth, first of them, I can't go to college, I'm torn to go to college, I don't want to go to college, I should go to college, what should I do, Rebbe? What did he say? I don't, quote, I don't believe in spiritual slavery, you must choose for yourself. Modern individuality and, and modern choice is very much a part of our world. You choose what you want. I will not. He's the opposite of a Rebbe. A Rebbe makes decisions for you, takes away your freedom of choice. You go to Rebbe for everything, buy insurance, name your baby, go visit your in-laws, the Rebbe decides everything. The Rav did not discuss, did not believe in that. You take responsibility for what you're doing, also a modern, kind of a modern value. So, in that sense, he produced a whole network of Tamdiyakami, fantastic students, some of whom really rebelled against his own system. Right? Do we understand that? Rav Shafter, who's a fantastic Tamdiyakam, fantastic Posek, when I had over two years, he said to me, and I said, oh, I want to do something philosophical. That early on, when I was 22 years old, or, or 20, 19 years old, I had this inclination towards philosophy. He says to me, let me read Mishlai Shanim. So I said, I, I don't want to read Mishlai Shanim, I want to read Morena Mukhim, I want to read something that's more philosophical. He said to me, not read Mishlai Shanim. I said, okay, I'll, I read it. Next year I had him again, he said to me, I said, again, what should I read? I want something philosophical. Besides the learning, he said to me, read it again. I said, read it, read it again, read it again. He says, well, especially when I say that, you're already when I say that, though. He says, well, he has Mishagas, quote unquote. Now, he may deny saying that today, but he said it then because I remember it very clearly and very well. So he has Mishagas too, like the Ramam did. He wasn't philosophical, he had no problems, he had no issues. So he had, he had Musad, Musad Sharim, and he had Gemara. And he's a fantastic person, as such. He's a very ethical person and a menschlich person, and he's a good person in Acham. That's one derech. So he, as a, as a, as a, a, a foremost student of Salavechik, turned from that derech. So Vedic is really unique in all that he had done. So now, one point is that he had, he had, has, had, and I think will have 
tremendous intellectual impact on everything Jewish, number one. His works are very striking, his formulations are incredible, his insight is phenomenal. When you read his works, and we will in a few minutes, you will see how he formulates things, what he sees what nobody else sees. His textual interpretations are overwhelming. Oh. And again, I, I show you that when I studied his, for example, his Pirush on the Torah itself, and I wrote, <coughs> that if he didn't say them, nobody else would say them. Why? So, wow. Where did you get this from? Huh? And just read so carefully, so well, so precisely, so analytically, which he doesn't give what eyes, well as on Kolash, you just, you're overwhelmed by that, which he does. Number one, his works are, of course, as I mentioned last time, his works will become classics. His works will ultimately be studied because they're what we call self-reverberating. What does that mean? That every time you read it, you see something new, something different, something else in the works of, as the Rambam, one second, as the Rambam also, correct? And also, most important, because he's this bridge personality, accepting the world of the yeshiva fully, 100%, but also accepting the world of modernism and a clash, he deals with the issues. Every single modern issue that one sees, he deals with. If we're talking about the role of science in the Jewish outlook, he deals with that. If we're talking about the issue of the Holocaust and the problem of evil, how did Hashem work? He deals with that. So about Zionism, he deals with that also. He deals with defense of halakha as a structured system. The modern world rejects structured systems. The flower children of California, they rejected structured systems. They couldn't see how following law and following a religious system could be meaningful. No, what's religion? Religion is spontaneous, open, flowing, loving, involved. A religion of structure and discipline, which is what we have, needed a defense. He wrote a defense in Isha of that as well. So every issue, modern, every issue, Jewish, every issue, theological, he dealt with. The issue of interfaith discussions. Interfaith discussions. Could you imagine Hamoud dealing with that issue? He does not, to the best of my knowledge. Could you imagine dealing, he dealing with, with conservative and reformed Jews? What would he say about that? <coughs> Don't talk to them. Don't get involved with them. You may become tainted by them out of the bullpen. Now that's a good medieval answer. You don't talk to Christians, you don't talk to Muslims, you don't talk to anything that's less religious. The Rambam would, would say, interestingly enough, that if a person is a heretic, what do you do with him? Ma'alim, muridim with no ma'alim. Trick him into a deep pit, take away the ladder and run, and run away. He's, he's a heretic, he's a kofir. Muridim with no ma'alim. If he's really a kofir, of course. If he's really a heretic, get rid of this guy. Because a heretic cannot have any ethics and morality, get rid of this guy. One way or another, get rid of this guy. Right? That's the Ramam's way of dealing with, with that. But so that just answers very, very different about Zionism, about the Holocaust, about um, interfaith dialogue with conservatives, reform, as well as with Christians. All of that, he responded to the modern challenges. As a Jew, you're not involved in these things. You don't. You made the only issue of all these that you really deal with is maybe what Zionism. What role should Zionism play in your life? Do you care about Israel? Do you want to move to Israel? Most of us Syrians are insulated, isolated. Not an issue Zionism from for us. We'll support Israel. We'll support Yeshivot in Israel, but it's not an option for us. But there are many Jews who see this as a, a critical point in life. What should I do about Zionism? Is it a spiritual renewal? Is what Hashem really wants? And if so, then we have to move there. Or is it not what Hashem really wants? Most of us don't deal with this issue in a serious religious fashion. 
Same thing with the Holocaust. Most of us are not uh, impacted upon. It was a terrible story. We agree. It was a horrible tragedy. We agree. But the further question, why did Hashem do this? We don't deal with it. doesn't affect our faith in any which way. We go on. We have to do Similarly, we don't talk to conservative, reform people. We don't talk to Christians. I get letters from pastors all the time around here. They want to be involved in interfaith dialogue. I, I don't respond to them. Why? It's not my thing. That's not what Rabbi Salvechik would say. It's not what he would say. But it's what Syrians would say. And so we don't get involved in so I don't get involved in it. I think I mentioned to you last year that I was involved with the Federation Rabbinic Body, which has 10 different rabbis and 10 different rabbis, which allocates money, which sets priorities and all that stuff. And we have women rabbis and reform rabbis and conservative rabbis and all that rabbis, three orthodox rabbis. And we were very much respected <coughs> by them. And how much money Hillel gets and how much money uh, they give to this, to this, to this, we all decide those issues. And I got a message from somebody in the community says it's inappropriate, you should not be sitting with reform rabbis. So I would not say that either. But I said, okay, our women is upward. Our commission is upward because when I get the same kind of money from for Hillel, if I were there, get more money from that, they get less money. Because they weren't as effective and they weren't as, as many. So you're 34% of the group or you're 20% of the group. That's one person here or there. But the Syrians simply isolate themselves. I'm saying it's wrong. My Christians are saying the Syrians isolate themselves. They don't care about Christians, reformed, all that. So we'll say, throw them out all. We don't need that, right? So that is the way, it's a modern challenge that was answered for me. If I were to follow Rabbi Salvechik's teachings on that, he would say, be involved with them, teach them, do not discuss ide- uh, ideological issues, not talk about the legitimacy of halakha or not, don't talk about that, that's not what you're there for. You're there to improve the lot of the Jewish community. If you're, if you're involved with the reform, you can talk about charitable issues, talk about financial priorities, talk about those kinds of social issues. Do not talk about religious issues. That was his instructions. You have the New York Board of Rabbis, you have the Central Council of America, there are Orthodox sort of reform, it's together, and the Orthodox are blamed by the more extreme Orthodox that you can't sit with a reform rabbi. You can't call my kids sit with him. Or conservative, you can't sit with anything like that. And no dialogue, just keep them out, push them away, they're garbage. Is what the more extreme says. But says no. The Rav says, no, talk to them for social humanitarian reasons. And he was condemned, and those rabbis who sat in those board meetings were condemned for that approach. Right? Now, that's a modern issue. Do we build up a large wall and not deal with them, or do we deal with them? Not, again, ideologically or religiously. You're not there to argue about whether halakha is legitimate or not. What are you there for? Social humanitarian reasons. As you do, that was his instructions. Okay. So he responded to all of these issues. He is a traditional Shiva, analyzing Tamil texts, but he's also a person who was able to adapt and select what was best in the modern world, analyze whether it's right to go to the moon or not right to go to the moon, was able to give halakha a certain inwardness. He was very much concerned about inwardness of the religious experience, and he would talk about a Jew who, for example, would go through the routine of what? of a mitzvah and not feel the inwardness. Is that Jew good or not Jew? Not a good Jew. Feel the mitzvah not fulfill the mitzvah. So he would say to you, morning, avilut, right? What is avilut all about? This is his typical analysis. What's avilut all about? Feelings. You may say, someone might say, it's about ripping your clothes, sitting on the floor, that's it. He would call that. What's his term for that doing that? 
He would say, the term for that is Ma'aseh Mitzvah. This is a new term. Nobody spoke about this term. You went through the ritual of the mitzvah, ma'aseh mitzvah. But where do you really fulfill the mitzvah? When you feel in your heart the loss of the person. That's called kiyum ha mitzvah. You need ma'aseh mitzvah to bring about a kiyum mitzvah. What about stretching where you have ma'aseh? I don't have the kiyum mitzvah. You don't feel anything in your heart. You trip, you sad, you don't feel anything. You didn't do the mitzvah. What about the opposite? He would not accept the opposite. I know, but the next step is to accept the opposite. No, to the contrary. He would say you need ma'aseh mitzvah as well as kiyum mitzvah. There's a legitimate way of going through the steps. You must go through the steps, he would say. But the crux, he's saying what's really important is not the masses. He would say that they he said they are mutually <laughs> self-reverberating. And that's complimenting. The Mahasem Islam is like human Islam, the human Islam is important because it's the essence, true, but the Mahasem Islam is also essential because that's the way that you do it. You need structure and discipline. His whole Ishalakhab is a is a defense of structured religion. How many people here could say that they prayed an entire Amidah having full understanding and, and Kavanah and awareness every single word? Very few people can. He would say that's the essence of praying. We're going to talk about praying in a little, little bit. But that's the essence of praying. To go through the motions of putting on tefillin and praying is not enough. It's ma'asem, it's not, it's good, it's something. But it's not Kiyum Without having some kind of internal flame that's ignited by virtue of what you did. So he was very much concerned about these issues. Structured, disciplined religion alone is not enough. Structured, disciplined religion alone is not enough. Now, he would base all this on the Rambam also. That's true. But he emphasized it to a degree beyond the Rambam. Now, where does he get it from? Because feeling, inwardness, spontaneity are modern categories that he feels were appropriate and right to have. And part of Judaism. Who could think of the first, first, first rabbi who emphasized this more than anybody else prior to him? He says in the introduction, nobody speaks about the obligations of the heart. What does everybody speak about? The ritual. Do this, do this, do this. We are doing religion. Do this, do this. Hold on Hold on a second. There are obligations your heart has. Feeling. Inwardness. So he spoke about it, but it was not really developed and pushed forward. And so Richard spoke about these issues which talk about inwardness. Is this Kavanah? Is this what we're talking about? Or not really? It is. Part of it. But Kavanah, for sure, but much more much more beyond that. He speaks of those issues, of those mitzvot. He goes beyond the simple formal ritual. He defends the discipline of halakha to every single degree. That is halakha. You must have discipline. You cannot dissolve religion neither into what he calls ish hadat. Ish hadat is man who's religious with no structure. You appreciate God's sunset, but you don't have to do with it. It's not enough. It's not good. You go to the sea and you say, That's good. But if you don't put him when the sun is setting, you blew the call. Ishadat is a man who allows religious categories to be dissolved into simply good feelings. Which of course was part of the romantic movement's religious beliefs at the end of the 19th century. All you've got to feel good about religion, that's what you have to do. On the other hand, he would not allow religious experience to dissolve into Ishadat. 
intellectual. Everything is a formal, structured, philosophical system. Neither extreme is good. Rather, Isha Racha is in between. He takes the feelings and emotions and he puts them into the right categories. Right philosophical That's such Kiddush about how to understand Halakha. Every dot, every Halakha, every thought is of critical importance. That's true. Structure this, but it's not enough. You need Kiyuha Mitzvah as well. So now, what we're saying over here is that Soveitch is a unique personality, unique to the modern world, unique in the <coughs> intellectual impact of his works, unique in the, in the way that he deals with contemporary issues. You cannot think of a contemporary issue that he has not dealt with. It is not dealt with. And of course, there are those who will condemn and criticize him for his dealing with all of these modern issues. That's all true. And yet, he felt that that was really what is what he had to do. <coughs> dealing with these modern issues and emphasizing the inwardness and sanctity of every single deed you do. When you do a mitzvah, you're sanctifying your dead. That's what one should do. Now that in and of itself is not unique. That's simply Jewish thinking. But he agreed with that statement. Sanctifying every day through mitzvah, as well as the inwardness, which is very much a part and parcel of halachic thinking, he would say. Good. Now let's look at, I don't have enough copies of this, and they didn't come out so great, but we'll see how this all... When did you ever have enough copies? <laughs> your machine doesn't work so well. Okay, are we following about? Do we have a sense as to what he was trying to do? Do we have a sense of that? Do we, do we understand how a man with a traditional learning as well as with a PhD, if you want to use that as a symbol, went beyond others? Do we see that he went beyond others? Are we having, do we have a sense, and we'll see focus as we go along, but do we have a sense of that as a bridge personality, neither denying in any which way, as many, the legitimacy of halakha, of, of Torah, and so and everything else. On the other hand, selecting and adapting from the modern experience what he felt was essay and appropriate. We see all that, right? Very striking personality. There's an interesting idea over here. And I'll have more copies next week. Very interesting idea. Geulahi, redemption is one, one of the principal out, outlooks most basic in Judaism most basic it's not only its realm is not only in a national historical when I use the term what do you think of? redemption Mashiach, a period of time when everybody lives a certain kind of harmonious way correct? no, something else he says it spreads out in all areas of Kiyum, Kiyum existence. Political as well, he said? No! What is he saying? You'll see. Okay. Everything in life is in need of redemption and Pidyon. Right? story. Yes, historical community needs redemption. That we all know. The individual needs redemption. What do we say in the Amidah that points to individual redemption as opposed to political, national, Sibur redemption? What better do we say? We say the Amidah 12 times a day. Oh, 
individual not collected All of those that are caught in the in the second section deal with collective national historical needs. But the earlier ones, those first four relate to the individual needs. And of course we always play in pray in the plural, but it's <coughs> it's an individual. Now not only that, Gamateva Baulam, even nature, even the world, all are in Anticipation in desperate need of Geula and Tikkun, of redemption and fixing, mending. Even the thought of man, Gam Machshevet Hadam, his thoughts, his concepts, his ideas, Shalom, and his feelings all need redemption. Now that's a very strange concept. What do you mean by that? What does it mean that a concept needs redemption? You'll see. Had called everything Natun the Mitzan the Kore Hashem Everything is in crisis and asks of Hashem to be redeemed. Take him out of to out of that crisis. Something that's easier. Even Hashechina Kibiachol. Even if you ever hear of the concept that the Shechina is in Galut. If you ever hear of that notion that when Ben Abdesh destroyed, even the Shechina went in Galut. Right? And in fact, we say, this is, of course, the Kabbalists say much more so. What do the Kabbalists say? When you say that before you have to fill out, what are you saying? You want to bring Shekhinah out of Galut and reunite it with, with its original source. Some of you say that for Tefillah. Because there's Shekhinah is in Galut after the Hurban. Even the Shekhinah could be a Of course, not literally true, it's only. It's only a manner of speaking. Mishbet was taken to captivity by Galut, historic, historic, metaphysical, even the Shekhinah wants Geulah. Now, he goes further. Sometimes the Shedet Edi is an idea that remains alone, widowed, in the realm of thought. Until comes a redeemer of that idea. It takes it out of its loneliness and it brings to her its freedom. You want to go now? We have to find that. I want to see that. At the end of Pekahat Eliyahu, he asks, do you think Shekinah left? He says no. I think. I, think, um, no, I remember that something vaguely to that effect. I also, to check it. no, we should check that. It's interesting. Yes, it's true. But of course, there is that concept of midrash. Doesn't mean that every single manifestation is actually going to all include that. But here we're talking about that uh, that, that there is a midrash tradition that Shekhinah even went by galut also. So here we're telling us over here that even an idea needs redemption. In the same way that the Redeemer, that we all wait for Him, you know, men, 
מהשפוט שם raise up our poor people הדלה כך גם הגואל הדוחים even the spiritual goel is sent in order to fix an idea and to raise it up to glory now what idea is he talking about? we'll see is he talking about cleansing catharsis in the same respect as redemption? no Yes and no. Depends on what? It Focus more. Very similar. Yeah. The on the individual level. Yeah. yeah, individual, yes, he put that. But not on the national, not what he's talking about right now. Right now, he's not talking about Qatar, right now he's talking about an idea in need of expression. In other words, there are certain ideas in Chazal that have been forgotten, that have not been analyzed and really made into very glorified ideas. A good example of that is Chavot Lerovot. Nobody spoke about the duties of the heart prior to Rabbeinu Bahia. Also, he spoke about it, and he emphasized it, and he underscored it, and he wanted it to become a pulsating idea in the history of the Jewish people. It did not become so, although he took a giant step forward. Prior to him, no systematic work that dealt with these issues. Internal states of mind. Rather, what we focus on? External behavioral modes of existence. Halakha is external. What the Rebbe is saying? No. Halakha is also internal. Emotion, feelings, ideas, thoughts. So Rebbe took a radical step forward in talking about the internal, the halakhic internal states of mind as well as the external behavioral states of mind. Okay. Yeah. Question about, like, how does Torah itself express feeling in a lot of its vote that it lists, that it lists? So let's say you go through um, I don't know, any, anywhere where a bunch of positive misvot are listed. Mm-hmm. Take... Lot to you mean? Yeah. Right. How does that express feeling? How does that express emotion? Just by simply saying... Interesting point. Lot is lot to Basically, how is it from the Torah, basically? Okay, well, let's analyze it. Is lot to a feeling or a behavior? Behavior. Well, both. <laughs> means do not take revenge, meaning the way Al-Khad defines it, you didn't loan me your lawnmower, I won't loan you my lawnmower. So that's, that's an act. It's an act. It's a ma'asir. It's a ma'asir. Now what about if well, I loan you... I'll hit you. Right. Something like that. That's okay, an good. Act. It's an act. Good. Now what about if I loan you my lawnmower, but I bear a grudge against you? That's a feeling or a machshava, correct. So now, what if somebody does one or the other? Let's say the person loans the lawnmower, but has this, you didn't loan to me, I know I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to you, I'm not going to say anything, but I, I know in my heart. Exactly. So one has to analyze that as fine that same way. You could do the act that's appropriate, that's right, but you still didn't fulfill the mitzvah. You did the right act. Okay, but the Ish HaRacha has to be in control of his emotions to the degree where he's not going to feel that anger and that grudge because you, you didn't get loaned the lawnmower. It's, yeah, is it human? It's beyond maybe human control. I agree. Rish HaRacha has two interesting areas. One is that every act of his is on such a level of HaRacha of, of, of closeness, of detailed... <coughs> observance that he's able to function that way meaning right, so let's just example Nisha Lacha is the following you see a sunset what does a poet do when he sees a sunset? writes a poem 
What does the painter do when he sees the sunset? Paints the sunset. What does Isha Lachad do when he sees the sunset? Sunset, frame, and chad. Exactly. Now, you take the, exter- the external poetic event and it's internalized into a formal structure, a disciplined religious response. That's Isha Lachad. Isha Lachad sees this guy over here. And he knows he didn't learn him the lawnmower last week. But he, now you're asking for mine. That is a stimulus for what? Here, take it. He does what's right, and he feels what's right. Right, exactly. <coughs> so, Rabbi Salavechi will say that is the shot of the mitzvah. In that case. Now, nobody else does that. Nobody else has analyzed it in such a, uh, in a degree, in that particular case. What's that other part? One can analyze many misfortunes in this way. Right? Same context. Do not go ahead as a tail bearer. Right? Let's say I don't go ahead as a tail bearer, but let's say I think about the tails. About, you know, that you're a bad guy. I don't say to anybody. But in my heart, I know that you're a bad guy. And let's say it's a false statement in the coming of Shonhara, wherever else it is, where it may be. I don't say it. If I say it, I violate the behavioral norm. But if I think it, I could have violated the internal norm that's an accompaniment to the behavioral norm. Now, you're going to say, but it's impossible. You know the guy's a creepy guy. You know the guy really is, look, can't stand the guy. But is that what Yishalacha does? Does Yishalacha think negative thoughts about people? Or not? He's able to almost isolate himself emotionally, intellectually, to feeling a certain kind of way and thinking of it. Yes, it's very difficult. That's the goal. That's the goal. Against self-preservation. I don't think he would take it to an extreme. No, the Isha for example... At some point, you got to protect yourself. Agreed. So the Isha People taking advantage of me. No, you must... Of course, self-defense is a part of Halakha system. Those Halakha would take that factor into account and come up with a Halakha response. So... The external stimuli are filtered with Isha Lachat. Only a little more or less. I didn't even give you that one back. Now I come and give you loan me a screwdriver. No, so that... At some point you got to say, this guy's just oh, he's taking on? all my goods. No, that's okay. So Halakhah would tell you, Halakhah deals with that issue. Halakhah would then end up, when you filter that external stimuli into the prism of Halakhah, what would it tell you? It would tell you that I, I, I need my screwdriver in two hours, and how luckily I'm not obligated to give you my two screwdriver, which I need now, right? Because I need it now. Because I don't need it. Well, yeah. I might need it in two days or a week. Halakha I'm would, not going to get it back. Halakha would, would, again, would give you the right answer to that question. So you do have to analyze. It just can't be blank. No, so you, 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 you analyze everything. No, it's not good guyness. Good guyness would actually be a violation of halakha. Why? Use that term. If you're only the good guy, you're almost a Christian. Turn the other cheek. How about that? Turn the other cheek. I'm not one Christian. I don't know. By the way, it's only a. Uh, I don't. I don't. I'm not that much, that much involved in so I don't really know. But okay, that's a good thing. Keep mind, some some Christian he hits me. Oh my God, I'm gonna drink. I remember that. Um, so that that's that's halacha does that. That would be ishadat, the man who allows religious norms and discipline to melt into being a good guy. That is Christianity. No laws, no discipline. Have faith and do what's right. Good works. That's what you gotta do. So we reject that. Why do we reject that? Because it doesn't really work for your reason. Is that Christianity like... I'm, I'm caricaturizing. I don't know if it's exactly Are we in Catholicism or are we in... Um, 
I'm talking about a religious system that does not have objective norms. We have to have, that's the brilliance of Torah and Mitzvot, that we have objective norms, right? But if you only have those norms out there, and it doesn't reverberate within the person, you end up with a robot who does the trap, doesn't feel anything. So that just wants to not have Isha Dat, who only has this mushy kind of be good, feel happy, uh, turn the other cheek, and it's all nice, simple, uh, normalism and peel. That's basically what you're saying. So I have a neighbor. And whatever I ask him, over five years, he don't. You can't use my mama, you can't do it, you can't do it. And whatever he asks me, I'm giving him. And we lose my mama, you put your table No, I don't give it to him. We have to analyze the issue halakhically. Okay, so at some you point you say, well, all you're doing is encouraging evilness in this right. I don't, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm, yes, you have to analyze that, not as human instinct, but as a halakhic category. Let me make it a little bit more um, concrete. So Rachel tells us, told us, about Rav Chaim's grandfather, who had this enormous fear of death. Everybody has a fear of death. We can't conceive of the point where we are terminated. It's a scary kind of a thought to have. What did he do? He wanted to take that emotional fear, which is appropriate, which is human, and he put it into the halacha categories of Tum'an Tara. So he ended up starting to study when he was 80, whatever the age was, when he had this great fear of death. He put it in the halacha categories of Avelut and of Tum'an, whatever that implies. What did he do? He took an emotional, amorphous fear and he put it into a concrete halacha categories, analyzing it, thereby kind of objectifying it and taking it out of the internal emotional state into an objective halacha category. So halacha is objective, discipline, and norms. But it's not enough to be only that. Structured system is because if you only have that, if you're a scientist about things, you only have these very clear cut categories. What are you missing? The human dimension. So he wants to he use both in the same way that the sunset setting, which is the aesthetic experience, it's not enough to simply say, Oh, how beautiful it is. You must pray. It's not too much of a paradox, though, that you're institutionalizing human feelings because human feelings by its nature are, are uninstitutional. Okay, but Ishal, you're right. But that's on, on a that's a normal person's reaction. Ishalacha is one who is going to respond to feelings or to human in a in a way that is structured discipline. In other words, a person dies, you can fall apart, you can tear your clothes, you can go crazy, you can climb the walls, you can do anything. What is it, in that case, what does it say? You go through a certain structured discipline and you filter the emotions that you're feeling through the categories of halakha and you end up as a whole person, doing what's right. That's what he would say. So it's not enough to be ish hadat, dalatat, meaning the man of religious norms only, only religion, that's Christianity, so to speak, or ish hadat with only intellectual, philosophical abstractions. <coughs> One, Aishalakha, tries to, tries to integrate the, with all that you said, the feelings of rejection that you have to that person, through a lot of you come to your answer. You have to have a screwdriver you want, a screwdriver, I'm just going to tell you, I have to give him the screwdriver. Not because it's a human reaction, but why? Because that self-preservation, tikkun ha'olam. Certainly you do because of tikkun ha'olam, for example. Uh, here's another interesting example. Here, a good Christian, an interesting example, walking in the desert, the a Jew. A good Christian has a bottle of water. It's about to come out, right? There's not enough water here for both of us to go to the city, to the next city. One of us has to die. What would the Christian do? Theoretically. <laughs> Theoretically. 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 Give, the Jew, give the other guy the water. Is that going to take it himself? You turn that chick says, no, you take it. What's the Jew going to say? 
Thanks and drinking and survive. That's gonna be too good. No. He's gonna save your soul and let you die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saving your soul. For your benefit. benefit. So just thank me for this. But will it? Wait, wait, wait. That's What does it mean? Hayecha me exactly what you just said. Now you're in the desert. What the Beitotora would say? What? Look, give him the, give him the, the water. You can't. What? You're gonna, you're gonna live and he's gonna die. That's not right. That's bushy kind of good guyness type. Whatever we're called, ishadan. But the Beitotora says, Hayecha me You have an obligation of preserving your life. Halakhli, you can't give him the water. You have to drink the water and, and survive. But what makes your team better than his? I have the water. Exactly that. And, parenthetically, some of the I came out will tell you that if you end up paskining, that you have to give, you have to give the to the other guy, then what happens then? You have to give right. back to me. Right. You have to give back to him. So we both die. Right. In other words, you, then you have a halakha paradox. Right. I give you, we both the same thing. So the end of halakha is a hayecha kod. Because it's a hayecha kod, mean, you have the obligation to preserve your life, you drink the water, and the shkafer, like whatever happens to the other guy, happens to the other guy. What are you going to do? So in other words, so we filtered a very difficult emotional experience. The man is traveling with you, you're his bosom buddy, you love the guy, and you're drinking the water. Halakha does not even say what? Treat sugar half and have bitter corn. <coughs> and you don't say to do that. You go there, right? Don't do that. What you do? Drink the water and it's very cold, it seems. It's like Yes, because objective discipline, Halakha needs an objective discipline through which we filter emotional responses that same way that I said, that's sunset. Now what should I do? I should just simply admire it. And I'm looking and time for a minute, how is going on? What does a Jew do? Praise Ha. So we try to take the emotional, aesthetic experiences and not simply stay with them. Ish Haddat, Dalit would stay with them and buy the sunset. Just love the sunset and, and write polar. That's not Ish Ha. Takes the emotions that rage within oneself <coughs> or that exalt oneself and you could appreciate that but also filter it through into a halachic norm. We have an integration of behavioral norms as well as emotional feelings. Let's go a little bit further. <coughs> One thing on that, just uh, statistically, in other words, the conclusion that I, s I have to save myself. In that case. In that case, in the spark. Chosen by divine providence to take out that notion, that idea, that tabara, from its aloneness to centrality of thought, of thought. In other words, could you read a Gemara now or a Fumash and find an idea that nobody ever said before? Yeah. Going to him, yes. I think we'll do you. I can. Yes, somebody yes. can. I see, I see. One can. Certainly you can. In any area, he'd say. And that idea was good. He'd say or you'd say? He'd certainly say. Okay. Right. I'd certainly say as well. <laughs> of course, uh, we've done it on numerous occasions. New ideas, reading a Pasuk, reading an issue, and we come up with a new idea that emerged from that's the beauty of Torah. Putting together new insights. His article on Bereshit, explaining Adam uh, creation, is the first time that anybody ever thought or wrote of this idea. It's a new idea in the interpretation of the Torah. Period. It is no what can I tell you? And there are many situations where, for example, even what Rabbi Shammah said yesterday, is the Torah Dash Bereshit. I never heard it before. I think it was a new idea. I had the question myself. He had the answer. So I would think, Rosh Hashanah came with a new idea, fantastic idea. And again, I would like to take his idea about Bil'am. Why was it not explicitly stated in the Torah that Bil'am was the one who gave the instructions to uh, prostitute the Jewish people by virtue of this sexual uh, plan that he had? 
We know he did it. Torah doesn't tell us that he did it. Why does the Torah not tell us that? Right? Good, interesting point. It's a very good question. A million times had a question. Why? All his ears are there. Tell me he did it over there. He said that was not us. He went his way. He went his way. That was his story. Tell me there that the one said, "Hey, you know, God, you want to get the Jews? Let them let the, the girls, the good-looking girls, wear uh, mini skirts, and now we'll be able to uh, entice them." And exactly what happened. So, well, we didn't tell the Torah. Why not? Later on, in my talk, we find out that he does that, but not in not in Parashat in uh, Balak. Why not? He had his answer because he didn't really tell explicitly. He told them Derek Agav ripped to the lines, etc. So, try this. He didn't say explicitly in between. So, that's what Shabbat did. Good answer. Interesting question. Good answer. Hidush. I would say it's a Hidush. We should analyze and go through all history of interpretation, 2,000 years, which we could do, and find out is it really a Hidush or not. I would think it is. I never saw it. I've heard of it. So therefore, there are Hidushim that we think of and nobody else thought of. It's an incredible statement to make about the nature of Torah. One can do so. <coughs> so he would say, sorry, I'll finish one more minute. So he would say over here that for many generations this idea remains alone. Nobody comes out and redeems this idea. Logical sevarot. You know, for example, uh, Ushalomi Da'a. What does Ushalomi Da'a mean? Ushalomi Da'a. Somebody steals an object or an object is lost. An object is lost. Right. And now, I could keep, one can I keep that object? I found the gold watch. One can I keep my gold object? Only you forget. Right. If you gave up, you're not going to get it back, I can keep it. Right? Now, if it's a gold watch, has your name on it, you're not going to give up hope. Right? You know you lost it. Yush. You made you, uh, if it doesn't go has your name on it, you never give up because you know you're going to go to back, you know that will give it to you. After 22 years, you never give up all Right? Then I can keep it. Okay. Let's say you don't know you lost. There's a fantastic argument about Kama, the first critic. Yush of that, you don't know that you lost it. Is it Yush or Yush? Is it not Yush? So that's a good argument about Abayyavarava, very famous sugya in Baba Kama. Okay. Now, the question over here is, we want to understand their argument, each side. One side says, Haveyush. You don't know you lost it, but you give up hope anyway. You don't have a con- you know, if you don't know what you lost, you should only that. Haveyush. Can I think of a new Sivara, psychological? Now we have in the 20th century all kinds of understandings of the human mind. And perhaps we could use one of the concepts of how the human mind works to explain. So that would be a new Sivara in a 2,000-year-old argument that only came to light just now. It's possible. We'll agree. Even more simply explaining what Kavana is. Yeah, okay, agree. Yes, Kavana intentions. Where is it from the brain? You know the brain has different sections to it. There's different rooms and compartments up there. How does it work? Yeah, all of those issues. So I could come up with a new idea, a new understanding of a particularly old halakhic argument as to why it is and why it is not. That's his point over here. <coughs> the fact of it's on, all of a sudden, Idea, an idea, Almonit, an idea that's a widow. Nobody cared about her. Shaitanatuna that was hidden in a corner in the very beginning starts to move, starts to pulsate. Mean Hapriya from the periphery, Ilamikaz to the center. The idea is there. But nobody grabbed it. Poet but nobody grabbed the idea of that there are certain obligations of the heart. All of a sudden in the thirteenth century, twelfth century says I have to write a book about what did I book? Nobody else wrote the book. How come? Nobody did it. Nobody thought about it. It's an amazing thought. Judaism was around, but two thousand years before that, nobody thought about writing what did I book. Okay, wherever it was, historical circumstances, what he perceived in society, whatever it was. He did, he decided his initial. I can't believe that anybody before the Chumash Arabah didn't have to 
They uh, had feelings. I think it was, it was inborn and made, and I think that uh, it was just uh, losing it. Agreed. Could be. Maybe that was part of it. But it might have been, you know, kind of part of the psychology of the person. People started losing it. And all of a sudden, after 200, 300, 400 years of hiddenness, I'm not saying it's never, he says it's in the periphery. It's always there, someplace in the corner, as you're saying, and then it's lost or, or emphasized or individualized, whatever way. All of a sudden, somebody comes along at a particular time in history and becomes a massive work that's one of the most popular medieval Jewish works to this very day. All of a sudden, it explodes it. But nobody else did it before that. And there are many issues, for example, writing Shemunapirek and the Rambam. Many examples of that. Nobody analyzed the psychology of the soul when Rambam does, dealing with free will, dealing with all these other kinds of issues about psychological illnesses. Nobody did before the Rambam. Nobody did. Nobody did. Many of the things that before the Rambam, the Rambam did. Writing a super comprehensive work of all halakha, putting every detail in its category and stuff. Nobody did that before or after for that matter. Period. So, certain ideas are waiting to be discovered, are in the corner and the periphery, and all of a sudden, they, because of somebody's thought, ideas, situation, historical, psychological, whatever it may be, all of a sudden, that idea from the periphery, in America, the center, in our limb, from the, <coughs> from being, dis- from disappeared, to the, to being revealed. That's what he does. Now, the next paragraph is going to tell us, one such idea, that was brought out into the open so the periphery is the idea of prayer prayer what do you mean it was always part of us no there's two types of prayer or two acts of prayer one is the formal discipline of prayer that we engage in right which would do them forever and seem to feel our prayer as what as an internal emotional experience where do we find this idea that was on the periphery just kind of under the surface all of a sudden taking on a new prominence and becoming the focal point of prayer which should be what? Avodah Who does that first? The Rambam. Prior to that form, prayer was all formal, disciplined, structured. Just do it. Also, the Rambam comes along and says, you know, what's a prayer really? Avodah Shabbalev. Who said What does that mean? Internal states of mind. Feeling emotion. Relating to Hashem in a certain kind of a way. That's real prayer. It was always there in the corner, that idea. The Rambam came along and started writing about it and putting it as part of the halakha. Prior to what halakha was said, pray three times a day, stand in the right place, don't stand in a place that's not, that doesn't smell good, wear your proper clothing, that's what prayer is all about. And no, no one's used it. It's the Rambam. The Rambam was the first, whatever it was. Now, we have to analyze this much more. You'll see, we'll go through each individual paragraph and see how the Rambam redeemed the concept of prayer not as behavioral norm, but rather prayer as Avodah an internal, spontaneous, emotional experience. Rambam was the first. Talk about it at depth and at length. Next week.